0: Hello Fearless Army, Jason Whitlock here, uh, your fearless leader, uh, filling in for Uncle Jimmy. Hope uh, your holiday is going great. Uh, We have a review of this week's Firestarters. And on Monday, I started out talking about Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and what it means that two of the 10 oldest players in the NFL are the leading candidates to be the MVP. Take a listen. In 1963, at the age of 37, New York Giants quarterback, Yelberton Abraham Tittle Jr. was named the most valuable player of the National Football League. In the league's then 43-year history, Y.A. Tittle was the oldest player to win the award. Tittle held that distinction for the next 50 years until Peyton Manning, older by seven months, won the award in 2013. Four years later, 40-year-old Tom Brady set a new standard for old guy dominance of a young man's game. This year, another quarterback, Older than Tittle is likely to be named the MVP of the National Football League. The leading candidates are 38-year-old Aaron Rodgers and 44-year-old Tom Brady. Think about that. Two of the 10 oldest active NFL players are the front runners for MVP. This is good for TV ratings. Brady and Rodgers are handsome superstars with brands nearly as pervasive and strong as McDonald's and Coca-Cola. But their dominance of football does not say good things about the NFL. Football rules makers, in pursuit of player safety and points, have made the game far too easy. I do not say that to denigrate Brady or Rodgers as a fan. I love watching them play. I respect their approach to the game. I marvel at their sustained discipline and passion. Football is a more enjoyable product with Brady and Rodgers than without them. My problem is their prolonged domination of the league indicates a reduction in the stakes and or consequences of playing the game. When you reduce the risk, you reduce the reward you reduce the level of satisfaction among fans. Despite all of its corruption, the sport of boxing won't die because of the elevated consequences of the sport. At any moment, someone could get knocked out. That's exciting. It's why we tuned in to see Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder three times, even though we know neither fighter is Muhammad Ali or Joe Frazier. Football used to be so punishing that the all-time great quarterbacks retired at age 37 or 38, whether they really wanted to or not. In 1979, at the age of 37, Cowboys quarterback Roger Stallback had the best statistical season of his career. He threw for a career high in yards, 3,586, and touchdowns, 27, and was named to the Pro Bowl for a fifth consecutive year. He retired after the season. He suffered five concussions during the 1979 season and a six, and six concussions during the calendar year. Football has significantly decreased the degree of difficulty. Hardly anyone talks about it. The old-timers don't want to sound bitter or jealous of the modern players. Corporate media is in bed with the NFL. ESPN and Fox Sports' job is to promote the league, not analyze it. The former players leading the discussion of football on TV are simply happy to be cashing a check. They'd rather whine and cry about some perceived racial injustice than to discuss what's going on in the actual game. The truth doesn't keep the butter biscuits flowing. Emasculated, emotion, tears, and racial division, that keeps the cash flowing. Speaking of tears, look, here's an example of what I'm talking about.
1: And so you can't relate to that if you're white, but you can listen
0: and you can uh, try to help because this is not okay. It's just not.
1: Thank you for everybody that reached out to me. And um, like, I know it's getting better, but it's not better, better yet, and better for everybody. And, um, you know, like we just gotta keep,
0: you know, staying together, man, and just doing what we can. Shit. And for us to be moving back and not forward in 21st century, like I said, man, National Football League, this hurts me. The clock is ticking, man. I'm get- sorry. That's what passes for groundbreaking commentary about football. Men crying. Men whining doing everything, but dealing with what's actually going on in the game. That's how you keep the checks flowing in corporate media. Stir a little racial division, shed some tears, act emasculated, act feminine, act like the Instagram model sitting next to you knows just as much about the game or, or you know, connect with her. No one wants to actually discuss what's going in the ga- going on in the game. So we pretend that what Brady and Rogers are doing, is just as difficult as what Tittle, Roger Stallback, Terry Bradshaw, Joe Montana, and John Elway did. It's not. Tom Brady knows it's not. Listen to what he said in September during a panel discussion with his Buccaneers teammates. Watch
1: this. I think the one thing about football that's changed over the years, which I think is really hard for someone like me who's played a long time to watch is like, it's not being taught the right way. Like a quarterback should only throw the ball to certain places because your receiver is in danger of getting hit. For example, when I used to play against Ray Lewis, mm-hmm. I wouldn't throw the ball to the middle of the field because he would he he'd go after you and he would hit like. And we didn't always have the biggest receivers, but he would hit him and knock him out of the game. Mm -hmm. And now, every hard hit is a penalty on the defense. So I feel like they penalize defensive players for offensive mistakes. Mm -hmm. So like, if a quarterback, I was watching the Chicago Bear game,
0: (laughs) the the quarterback
1: messes up, doesn't see the blitzer, or the line screws up, I don't know what happened, the quarterback or the line on offense, the defensive player comes in and hits him hard and they throw a flag on the defense. So they've almost moved the protection of your opponent to you Mm -hmm. as opposed to where it should be which is on yourself like if you're a quarterback you got to protect yourself and your players it shouldn't be the responsibility of your opponent to protect you mm-hmm. and I think that's a real it's it creates really bad habits for players because you feel like I can basically do anything I could run and not slide I can throw the, my receiver into any coverage and not have any repercussion for it the only thing they're gonna do is they're actually gonna blame the defensive player mm-hmm. for making a good solid hit and now the defensive player is gonna feel like oh I can't do that mm-hmm. even i i feel like it was an offensive mistake. So in the end, I think it's a really disservice to the sport because the sport isn't being played at a high level Mm -hmm. like I I believe that it once was. It actually deteriorates because you're not teaching the players the reasons and the fundamentals of what the sport should be.
0: This is why I have so much respect for Tom Brady. He's not afraid of the truth, it's we are. There was so much truth in what he just said. I mean, incredible truth that goes way beyond football. When you remove consequences, you end up hurting everybody. When there's no accountability, when when you can feel like, oh my God, my mistakes are going to be covered up by someone else. They're gonna be rationalized and excused. It creates the feeling that you can do anything. You can go out and smash and grab. You can go out loot and burn. You can do anything because there are no consequences for your bad behavior, for your mistakes. an incredible truth that Brady was speaking there that goes way beyond football. The world, we've turned the world upside down. And football is just a microcosm of a culture that is anti-consequences for negative behavior. We can see it in football and we can apply it to the rest of society and the rest of our lives. Tom Brady put it all out there and everyone's just ignoring it, letting it go by. Y.A. Tittle set an age standard that stood for 50 years. It's now going to be surpassed three times in less than a decade. Football has changed. You basically need written permission from the head referee to hit the quarterback. Receivers have no fear of catching the ball over the middle of the field. Referees love throwing pass interference penalties for inconsequential contact. Let me repeat, I love Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. I really do. Because of the way he handled the COVID situation and his feisty interview with Pat McAfee about the vaccine. Aaron Rodgers is my new favorite NFL player. I want him to win a second consecutive MVP award. It will be a victory for the unvaxxed. Rodgers and Brady are the most valuable players in the NFL. But my point is, they're not the best or most impressive players. We've so dirtied up the game and the rules and blah, blah. We don't reveal actually who's the best We've tilted things so far in the offense's favorite and the quarterback's favorite. They're always going to be the most valuable, but they're not the best. They're not the most impressive. Here's my list of best and most impressive players from this year. Coach running back, Jonathan Taylor, Cowboys linebacker, Micah Parsons, Pittsburgh pass rusher, TJ Watt, Cleveland defensive end, Miles Garrett, San Francisco defensive end Nick Bosa, Patriots cornerback JC Jackson, any of those guys. Best, most impressive players this year. Rule changes have exaggerated the value of NFL quarterbacks. Football needs a best player award. The best football players are a lot closer to age 30 than 40. Football is still a young man's game. A best player award would recognize that. All right, so that's me on Brady and Rogers. On Tuesday, I moved on to our fascination with uh, slogans, particularly the inspired change deal that athletes are all into. Change is, change is the greatest thing in the world. Does everything need to change? Take a listen to this. We've become infatuated with criminals and criminal justice reform and all of our sympathy is for criminals, and we've turned criminals into victims. And this is all an outgrowth of kind of where I want to start the discussion, uh, with our fascination with change. There's this, right now we're going through a change movement, where the idea, the concept of changing things is the most powerful idea uh, working in America. And to, to some degree, it, it clearly starts with politics, it starts with Barack Obama and hope and change and change we can believe in. And look, politicians, not just Obama, but they all lean into, hey, I'm gonna change things up and things are gonna be better. So it, it's, I don't wanna just single out President Obama But he did help popularize this change culture and change movement we have going on in America. And one thing I've been asking people of late is like, what's your solution? I hear you talking about change, but I don't hear you talking about a solution. And so change for the sake of change and this idea that all change is good, we, we've got to stop it. And so I'm looking at people that want to change the criminal justice system. And I'm not sure if they have a better plan. I'm not sure if they have a solution. I know they want to change things. And I look at professional athletes that run around and particularly in the NFL they have it on the back of their helmets all the time. Inspire change. And again, th- this is where a lot of my problems with athletes are, it's like, they put no fault into anything. Oh, inspire change, that sounds good. Let me slap that on the back of my helmet and let's just change, 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 change. And every, all, all the things they get behind, change, 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 change. None of them ever talk about solutions. It's just change. And so when when everything is just change, change, then you you've opened your mind to be manipulated by people who get to define for you what the change is. All you know is change is good. Things were so terrible just five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. We just must change and anything that's different is good and so it's like out with all the old in with the new and maybe it's because i'm 54. maybe it's because i'm past my prime maybe it's because i'm just an old fuddy-duddy shouting at the clouds yelling at people to get off my lawn but not all change is good Not everything from the past needs to be thrown out. We're not living in an America where people are in bondage and slavery. We're not living in an America where women don't have the right to vote. We're not living in an America where black people's rights to vote are being compromised. We're not living in America where we can't drink out of water fountains, we can't go to schools our taxes pay for, we, we can't eat, shop, live where we want. That's not the era we live in. And so I get it, and that's why they, there's such a focus on history and, and convincing everybody that we're actually living in the 1920s and 30s, and we just gotta change things. And so for a lot of these athletes to slap this inspired change on the back of their helmets, what is it that they really want to change? Is there something about their life in particular that they're dissatisfied with? Is Patrick Mahomes dissatisfied? Has he been discriminated against and he's only got a contract worth a half billion dollars married to the fruit of the tree? But wants things to change and I, I don't want to signal Patrick Mahomes out, but I, I'm just he's one of these athletes that I think is just wet his finger his agents and everybody said the winds blowing this direction hop on this change bandwagon. And I look at the uh, Malcolm Jenkins and the Players Coalition, and they're gonna hop in there and th- they have their programs that they're gonna institute to change the criminal justice system. And no one either has the courage, uh, the moral standing, the, the, I, I, the brains to say, hey man, you're a football player. This criminal justice system is very complicated. What the hell do you know about how it needs to be changed? Same question applies to Kanye West. Kanye West, a nice little rapper, designs pretty creative tennis shoes, but but the criminal justice system and what must be changed? How? Why? Rapping? Because he raps? Because he can curse and come up with rhymes that, that words that rhyme with F U C K. Because, you know, he's not afraid to say N I G G A constantly. And I'm not trying to beat up on Kanye. Sometimes I halfway like Kanye. But this whole little change thing that we're all caught up in. And everybody believes anything that's different must be better. It's just not true. And there must be, T.J. Moe talked about it last week, talking about Bill Belichick. And, And how Bill Belichick walks everybody into the, around the Patriots facility, shows them pictures of the guys that played for the Patriots. Uh, before they were there, the guys that created this whole dynasty and even the guys before the dynasty. John Hanna, one of the greatest offensive linemen in NFL history, played in the 1970s, played at Alabama. He's one of the greatest football players of all time. I'd put him in my top 10 list of football players of all time. Played for the Patriots. And it's like, Bill Belichick wants you to know that history of that organization and the men that played there before, and he wants you to respect that because he wants you to understand that those guys before you actually built this and that you must have respect for what they did in order to continue their legacy and to continue to push the Patriots forward. And. We have been convinced here in America that everybody before us, everybody before us was dog doo-doo and unworthy of respect. And the systems that they put into place that, that allow us to live on the, in the greatest country on the planet, people beating down doors and do, people walking from other countries, walking through Mexico and to come through our southern border. People in Africa trying to get into America desperate. We didn't build that. The people before us did. And we should respect them. And we should respect what they did to make this country the envy of the world. And then from that respect, if there are things that need to be tweaked and improved, let's do that. But let's also come up with solutions, things that will make things better. And so we got this thing going on now with this bail reform and uh, defund the police and criminals are, we should all be sympathetic towards them that's the change that's being promoted and it's not improving our country. It's making us more unsafe. Violent crime on the rise all across America. People, in, not the celebrities who live in gated communities, not the professional athletes who live in gated communities and can hire their own security. But the real people, the great mass of people living in neighborhoods, working inside their communities, they're not as safe as they used to be. Criminals have control of our streets and our criminal justice system. So all this change that we're promoting, it's not working out for the great mass of people. It's a bunch of spoiled idiot celebrity influencers, athletes, singers, comedians, whatever, that have no solutions, but just think, oh, if I did anything to change America, it's better. And that all comes from the point of view, like everything in the past was terrible. And I'm just sorry, my father, not terrible. My grandmother, not terrible. The, the George Washington and them, I'm sorry, not terrible. And I know they participated in a system that was unfair, but they also wrote documents that created these freedoms for all of us. And they came from a worldview and a perspective of that our freedom was given to us by God, not man. Obviously, I'm not the biggest fan of change. (laughs) Maybe that's because I'm old. Uh, On Wednesday, we kept it moving, and I had kind of a more of a stream of conscience firestarter about Demarius Thomas and Young Dolph and Nipsey Hussle and Tupac Shakur and just America's fixation and celebration of death. How should we view death? How should we think about... Uh, people who are elevated by death, like George Floyd. Buckle up and listen to this fire story, fire starter about death. The outpouring of public emotion in reaction to the tragic and unexpected passing of former Broncos receiver Demarius Thomas has made me ponder our fixation with an attitude toward death. Thomas, 33, died late last week in his Georgia home. Reports indicate he suffered a seizure while showering and died of cardiac arrest. For a four-year stretch, Thomas was quarterback Peyton Manning's favorite target in Denver and one of the NFL's five or six best receivers. In 2016, thanks to the heroics of the Denver defense, Manning and Thomas and the Broncos won a Super Bowl title. Demarius Thomas was a very good football player. But like Vincent Van Gogh, Thomas's premature death elevated his stature in modern American culture. I do not say that to denigrate Thomas or his legacy. Demarius Thomas lived a truly fascinating and inspiring life. His short narrative arc is worthy of a chapter in the Bible. He was born to a 16-year-old mother and a father who left him to join the military. Thomas and his mother shared a trailer in the woods of rural Georgia. His mother and his maternal grandmother were small time crack cocaine dealers. When Thomas was 11 years old, law enforcement busted up his grandmother's drug ring, sentencing grandma to life in prison and mama to 24 years. In order to remain loyal to her mother, Thomas's mother turned down a plea deal that would have seen her do just four years. Demaryius Thomas's rise from poverty and dysfunction was a modern miracle worthy of a movie. The impact and importance of his life far exceeded his death. But our modern secular culture celebrates death more than life, or at least that's the way it feels to me in 2021. I want to be transparent today about all of this. This monologue, this firestarter is more stream of consciousness than fully formed opinion or belief. I'm inviting you and Pastor Anthony and Pastor Bobby to help me think this through. I've been pondering this topic for more than two years. It started in 2019 when the rapper Nipsey Hussle was murdered. Corporate and social media responded to Hussle's death like it was a second assassination of Tupac Shakur. Shakur was a transcendent rapper with an international audience. He starred in movies. He was a household name. Nipsey Hussle was a local rapper. He was Los Angeles version of Young Dolph, the local rapper no one outside of Memphis had heard of until he was murdered just this past November. Tomorrow, Memphis is holding a Celebration of Life event at FedEx Forum in honor of Young Dolph. Tickets sold out in less than 90 minutes. Memphis renamed a street to honor Young Dolph. Young Dolph was a cliche, mediocre rapper. He rapped about dealing drugs, bitches, hoes, and the usual. Had he not been killed, no one outside of Memphis would know him. Listen to this clip of his music from I think a song called 100 Shots. 100 Shots, 100 Shots, 100 Shots. Me and my pull up in a 100 drops. My role model used to get hey, hey. a hundred blocks. in I don't want to denigrate Young Dolph. I'm trying to understand our fixation and relationship with death. I get and accept death's ability to exonerate and cleanse. Should it exalt? George Floyd's criminal past became irrelevant the moment police handcuffed and subdued him to the point he no longer posed a threat to them, the public, or himself. I'm good with that. Floyd's criminal past, however, does not justify Derek Chauvin kneeling on his neck and back area for nine minutes. Totally get that. But Floyd's death does not justify the exaltation that has been showered on him. The statues, memorials, and reverence are misguided and inappropriate. We've turned George Floyd into an idol. We've done this because our modern, secular culture places more importance on death than life. Our modern, internet-driven society attaches our emotions and attention to people we do not know. Many of us have shed as many tears over the distant internet idols, like Floyd, Nipsey Hussle, and Young Dolph, than family members and friends, the people we actually know, engage, and live with. It's unhealthy, it's unnatural. Our values are upside down. We're chasing the approval of man, not God. This is why corporate media constantly talks about being on the right side of history. History is written by man. It's written by the people in power. What made America great, what pushed this country to address its sins was a pursuit of being on the right side of God. Man's history can be rewritten in an election cycle. It can be manipulated and redefined by a Google algorithm. God's truth is unshakable. I don't have this figured out. I wanted to start a conversation today. I want you to help me figure it out. What's not right about how we view death, how we respond to death, and why we seem far more fixated on death than life. The threat of death is being used to impose fear and make heroes of unworthy men. All right, I think that was as about as dark a, Fire starters I could have. Uh, let me know what you think. You know what? Email me at ballstate68 at aol, and tell me what you think about my stream of consciousness on death. Uh, but let's keep it moving on Thursday. Had an interesting discussion about Deion Sanders and him landing one of the top recruits in the country at Jackson State and HBCU and just how rapidly sports are changing, particularly in the college football world. Something kind of big picture about this rapidly changing sports world. I've never seen, and look, we've watched the entire world change on a dime from COVID to uh look to the summer of george floyd and how criminals are now the most protected species on the planet Uh, but things in the sports world are changing just as fast Uh, and i'm not I, i can't make up my mind are things changing for the better or for the worst i've always been someone who wanted to see change in college sports. The amateurism model, I think, has outlived its usefulness, and so uh, I I was someone that has been preaching against amateurism for 15, 16, 17, maybe even 20 years, I I can't remember, I'm old. Uh, And so things have changed with this name, image, and likeness deal, and now, Deion Sanders at Jackson State University has landed one of the top recruits in the country, a kid named Travis Hunter. Some people have him ranked as the number one recruit. Some people have him as the number two recruit. Uh, He's decommitted from Florida State. Dion's alma mater and has joined Dion at Jackson State. There are rumors all across the internet that uh, Barstool Sports is, is going to sign a name, image, and likeness deal with Travis Hunter uh, that's going to pay him around a million, million and a half. Dion. Uh, was on ESPN with uh, Keyshawn Johnson, Max Kellerman, and uh, Jay Williams, and and denied that you know there's some blockbuster major deal. Dion said, "Hey man, how am I gonna have a kid on, on my team uh, who makes more money than me? I'm the head coach, uh, but isn't that the concept in the NFL?" Don't players make more than the head coach in the NFL routinely? And you know, Dion played in the NFL for a long time. I know he's in college sports, uh, football now. Uh, but, but to see one of the top recruits in all the country choose an HBCU, walk away from a Power Five school in Florida State University, speaks to like, man, things are changing. And not everybody is all that happy about it, including Dabo Sweeney, one of my favorite coaches, the head coach at Clemson. Dabo uh, was quoted this week about the transfer portal and everything that's going on in recruiting. National Signing Day was this week. Uh, Dabo's quote, it's total chaos right now. Tampering galore, kids being manipulated, grass is greener and all that stuff as opposed to putting the work in and graduating. There's no consequences. So now you've got agents and NIL tampering and you have no consequences. No consequences equals no conscience. There's no reason for pause, no barrier for young people like nothing. Education is like the last thing now. That's Dabo Sweeney. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about all of this, about Dion Landing, Travis Hunter, about Dabo Sweeney's comments. A friend of mine who has worked with some of the top college prospects uh, for the last 20, 25 years uh, you know, said he was happy that this change has happened. He said Dabo Sweeney's in trouble, he's toast that the whole college landscape has changed and Dabo's not on board, he's not on board with the change. And so he's gonna get left behind. I wanted amateurism to end. I was not a big fan of this NIL deal. I felt like these colleges, both in football and basketball, needed to partner up with uh, the NFL and the NBA and figure out a way to compensate the best players in college football and basketball uh, together to protect football and basketball from you know maybe a new level of corruption and i know some people say oh it's always been corrupt and everybody was happy when the coaches was making all this money and you know now the kids are getting me you just a hater with no i'm not just a hater i'm a former college athlete former division one scholarship football player who argued for a long time against amateurism. I just don't like the way it has ended. Dislike is a strong word. I don't know if I'm comfortable with the way things have changed all the way from the transfer portal to (laughs) N-I- NIL, <laughs> why can't I say NIL? Uh, I- I'm, just, I'm just not comfortable. I, you know, all change isn't good change. And is this well thought out change, or is this something that's just being foisted upon college athletics and college sports? And will it take us to a better place? I don't think so. But I want to discuss this and debate this because there's, you know, there's other. Uh, look, the other part of this overarching thing about change in sports is like Urban Meyer went from one of the best football coaches of all time to a laughing stock overnight. All right, here we are. It's Friday, and the NFL is having a COVID explosion. So is the NBA. Everybody's vaccinated in the NFL and NBA. They're supposed to be the most protected people on the earth. But the NFL is talking about canceling football games or postponing football games. Baker Mayfield's upset. I had some thoughts on all of this. The NFL and the NBA are having a COVID pandemic. And the NFL and the NBA, the, the, the Cleveland Browns game is slightly in jeopardy they've now had to change the protocols and the rules uh in order to have this uh cleveland browns game this weekend where they're gonna allow uh players to test every day and they're gonna allow them back on the field a little sooner and and baker mayfield and miles garrett are justifiably uh complaining because It's clear as day the NFL had one set of protocols and rules when they were trying to force everybody to take the vaccine. And so they let vaccinated players test once a week. Unvaccinated players had to test every day. Well, now that there is this COVID pandemic sweeping professional sports and sweeping the NFL, now the NFL, everybody's got to test every day. And and what ended up happening that the players are aware of, the NFL's aware of, the media is trying to ignore, is that the NFL's protocols that allowed vaccinated people to test once a week has now made the COVID pandemic within the NFL, it's driven by the vaccinated players. It's, they didn't have only once a week. And so they were going into buildings untested, unaware that they're carrying the virus and they're spreading it and passing it along. This is the stupidity of the NFL's own rules, trying to force this vaccine down the throats, of of all these young men and all these young athletes in their prime that they created protocols that penalize the unvaccinated. And now within the NFL, the NBA, the vaccinated people are actually the most dangerous because they've been going untested for stretches of time. While the actual unvaccinated people were getting tested every day, they would know Oh, my God, I'm carrying the virus. I have COVID. And so then they would uh, quarantine and remove themselves from their teammates. But because of this very bogus, false belief that, oh, the vaccines, uh, if you're vaccinated, you're so much safer than everyone else. You only need to be tested once a week. They created this pandemic this problem that they have going on that have put games in jeopardy corporate media their broadcasting partners aren't going to talk about the stupidity of these rules and these protocols that set this league on fire and has games in, in jeopardy and has teams as we roll into mid-december lit up like christmas trees with the covid virus They did this to themselves. The information, the data, I was just reading something today that T.J. Moa sent me from uh, the CDC basically admitting, conclusion, as this field continues to develop, Clinicians and public health practitioners should consider vaccinated persons who become infected with SARS CoV 2 to be no less infectious than unvaccinated persons. That's out of their own words. The vaccinated, just as much of a threat as the unvaccinated to pass on this virus. So when you tell the vaccinated, no, you only got to test once a week. That means for six straight days, they could run around carrying the virus, not knowing it, feeling like they're bulletproof. I took the vaccine, I'm better than everybody else. And they're actually spreading the virus. We've handled from start to finish this COVID thing very stupidly. We've promoted fear, we've bullied people into getting vaccines that really didn't. The safest people are the people who had COVID and recovered from it. The antibodies, those people are the safest. They should be walking around feeling very confident about themselves. But instead, we've bought into a myth that people that have taken these vaccine trials, these experimental vaccine trials, we're the greatest people on the planet. It's you unvaccinated people that are the threat. You're driving all of this. That whole narrative is blowing up right now in professional sports, in the NFL and the NBA. And, and again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm gloating, like I'm happy about it, but I'm just happy the truth is being exposed and that we can quit treating the unvaccinated like they're the worst people on the planet. I'm going to tell you who the dumbest people on the planet are. Uh Uh-oh. The ones who thought this vaccine makes me bulletproof. Vaccines take 6, 10, 12 years to be fully developed and tested and to be the kind of effective that we were trying to pretend these vaccines were after 10, 12, 14, 16 months of development. Those are facts that everyone knew and should have accepted. But everybody wanted to go off into their little fantasy world that somehow we created a magic bullet for this COVID uh, pandemic, and there is no magic bullet. So now we have to deal with reality. And I'm glad the NFL and the NBA hopefully are exposing these lies and myths that we have bought into. All right, thank you for listening. If you have not done so already, or even if you have, Give me a five-star like, give me a five-star review, write some words, tell me what you think. I listen, I read all of the reviews. I love them all. Make sure you're telling your friends to join the Fearless Army. All right, I'm Jason Whitlock, we'll see you next week.